Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, uh, uh, it's fun tonight to be talking to Helen and Mary um, about the passage that we're looking at in community groups this week. Um, so yeah, we have been reading Acts 13 individually over the last week or so and we just thought it'd be encouraging for us and hopefully for you to have a chat about it and some of the things that we saw. Um, so before Christmas we did the first half of Acts and um, chapter 13 is the beginning really of the focus turns in Acts from um, Peter and from here on in it's mainly about Paul's missionary journeys and this chapter is the first of those. So I thought um, a good question to start for um, these two ladies would be looking specifically at verses one to three of chapter 13, what, how can churches send workers abroad well? And what can we learn from Antioch as a sending church? Mary. Mm. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking it's interesting um, how it describes the church at Antioch. So it, I think this bit here is just talking about the leaders. Do you think that's right? So these, is it five people? Um, got yeah, they're Simeon, prophets and teachers, aren't they? Yeah, Simeon, Barnabas, Lucius, Manaean and Saul. Um, and they're worshipping the Lord and fasting, which I thought was interesting. I don't know what you think about that, but um, they seem to be uh just just you know getting on with normal church stuff and then the holy spirit is like right it's time for barnabas and saul to to go and uh go somewhere else and and preach preach gospel we're not told here what what their what this work is um which which the holy spirit has set them aside for but um yeah that it seems to me that you know the church is doing what it's doing and then the holy spirit moves and they, in obedience, go and and follow. Um, yeah, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what can, yeah, as a sending church, basically, what can, yeah. what's it, what does it look like to be a good sending church? Yeah, I guess, therefore, being open to a movement of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think here it seems to be the whole you know either it's it's the whole church or just this group of leaders but the holy spirit says very clearly go um and that's a church thing isn't it like it's it's a group of people who um are listening to what the holy spirit is saying and i think that's really important um in churches that that we're listening um and that people are ready to go when they're told and I think as well, it shows like um, it shows a real responsibility of the local church, doesn't it? Because these mm. people that they're sending out are clearly they're clearly important in the church. They're named. We know some of what they've been doing, but they're heavily involved in the church. They uh, understand the gospel and the church is therefore sending out or, uh, you know, releasing them off mm. onto their missionary journey, but not before that. They're certain the Holy Spirit's called, asked them to go before they mm. are certain that they can handle the Bible, that they are willing learners 
um, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like Saul and uh, Barnabas, they're leaders. They're like, they, you know, they're very important. Like the church is going to take a big hit by sending these people. Um, mm. And they, yeah, like I, I think that's challenging for church leaders. And, you know, are, are you ready to go and um, do this kind of thing if the Holy Spirit says to um, and often it feels like a hit for a church when missionaries go, I think, um, because um, often these people have been like serving in some kind of capacity. I think as well, another, I just, just in terms of the church, what can we learn from the church at Antioch? You know, when you look at these people who he's listed, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called N- well, Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean and Saul, these are people from vastly different backgrounds. <laughs> you know, like yeah. um, Simeon was probably from uh, North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Manaean is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who is not a nice guy. <laughs> he is he a 17 year old girl who's dancing pretty nicely for him to decide that he could you know, he, she wants him to bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. He's not a very nice man. And yet this yeah. guy who's grown up with him, he's a lifelong friend of him, is still part of the church. Um, so, it, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting picture of sort of redemption, bringing together of people, and then the sending out. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really beautiful picture of that. And then that the the Holy Spirit said set them apart for me for the work to which I have called them. Mm. You know, it's not, um, it's, it's church confirmation of what the Holy Spirit has already done. Mm. Um, and I love, I love that the church then fast and pray some more and then they place their hands on them and sent them off. And I love that, that I think it's really important that a church, um, either obviously right now we can't place our hands on people but just like what's the word metaphorically we we place our hands on the people that we send out because um it's like uh we are with you we are for you we are behind you um as you go um we bless you as you go um and I think that's really important um that a church doesn't just feel like the missionaries go off and do their own little thing bye have a nice time um or even put them on a pedestal and say, oh, you're amazing, I couldn't do that. Um, really a church, you know, it's just, it's a level playing field and we're all in it and we're, we're, we're in it together. And these missionaries that are going off, we are with them and we're gonna stay in touch. We're gonna, you know, finance them. We're going to support them in prayer. Like it's really important that it's a team effort here. And I love that as they place their hands on, on Saul and Barnabas that they're, um, they're doing this they're saying we're going we go with you in our spirit and we love you and we bless mm. you um, yeah it, it's striking isn't it the three players like the holy spirit's at work the church is at work and the individuals at work and almost those three things come together for this really powerful sending and partnership really isn't it mm. yeah. yeah exactly it's partnership yeah. and I think yeah it is a powerful sending what I really enjoyed as I was reading it was that this moment was unprecedented wasn't it it's it's the first time that people have been physically sent out 
the rest of the time they've been scattered by persecution. This is the first time that we see recorded anyway, somebody being actively sent out. And so I just love that we're reading this moment in history, which was just unprecedented. Presumably they, I'm not saying that they made it up on the spot, maybe they did, but I love that it's not, um, it's not necessarily prescriptive. It's not necessarily, this is what you have to do, but it's the, the togetherness of the church and the missionaries we have identified that the Holy Spirit is intended for us to send you out. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's a two way street, you know, sometimes the onus is put on the people being sent out to bring the church along with them. Whereas mm. I think, I do think maybe uh, churches sometimes need to think more, okay, how can we actively pursue this worker we've sent out? Mm. Um, sometimes I think there's quite an emphasis on the person who's been sent rather than mm. we are, we are releasing you off to do yeah. what you've been called to. Yeah, is it John Piper who says you either, you're either a goer or a sender? You're not like a, there's no other option as a, as a member of a church family. Um, there's the responsibility on both parties. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the ch- it's challenging as well, isn't it? That what the church doesn't say is, oh, don't go, stay. You're doing such a great work here. And that's yeah. hard from being on the side I'm on of really <laughs> joyfully releasing people to, yeah. you know, do good work overseas. Um, okay, great. So then when they get to Cyprus in this next section, verses four to 12, and then quite often repetitively, when Paul, Saul still here, gets to a new city, he regularly starts in the synagogue. Why do we think he does that? Well, first of all, he has an open door, doesn't he? You know, he's um, formerly a Pharisee. We forget that there is an internet and social media and that kind of thing. You know, news might not have reached where they are of um of uh, his uh conversion to christianity he's just got an open door he's able just to walk in and start sharing you know we saw previously he they were invited to share yeah um and the reality is that um god wants all people to <laughs> be called to the gospel it doesn't say just the gentiles uh yeah that would be my first first comment on that it's funny isn't it because um as a visiting like rabbi kind of figure he would have been invited like in um synagogues in that time they would have you know read from the torah and stuff like that and then they would have invited like the visiting rabbi to speak and they probably didn't realize he was going to stand up and say um some of the stuff that he did or do some of the stuff that he did um so yeah like helen says it was an open door and i think also um he there's this thing isn't there about um especially the early the early disciples and apostles they used to uh did Jesus tell them to like the the gospel was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles so it's kind of probably also in obedience to that that Mm. they went first for the community of Jews um and then uh you can we see later later when he says right that's it you know I'm going to go to the Gentiles now because you've you've rejected this message um so yeah and it's it just works together doesn't it that it's an easy place to start and it's a place where people gather as well I think you know it's good to go where there are lots of people who are open to um to talking about religion and you know discuss discussing these things um like later on I think Paul used to go to the was it the marketplace or somewhere where they used to sit and just discuss philosophy 
um, like it's good to go to places where people want to want to talk about this stuff um, and engage with them. Um, yeah, it just struck me as well in God's providence. What you know, he he saves miraculously Saul, doesn't he? Who's the rabbi of rabbis and who could probably take anybody down in any synagogue in the whole of the known Jewish world at the time, and yet he then can interpret and understand the scriptures through the lens of Jesus and like what a powerful thing that would be mm. if that mm. yeah if there were people in that synagogue that were really hungry to understand the old testament scriptures then he's your man isn't he mm. yeah. yeah and it's just and as well it's just a way of fulfilling prophecy isn't it you know that bit that you quoted earlier Mary about you know when he was he was like okay that's it with the Gentiles the first part of that verse says it was necessary that this message was given to you first Mm. um and you know he his own people did not recognize him Mm. Uh, yeah it's it's a mixture I think between well it just makes sense (laughs) and because it's a moment of prophecy yeah Yeah, because these Jews would have had all the history and they you know really it should have just clicked for them all these things should have clicked into place oh yeah this guy was the messiah and oh you know therefore we must go and tell everybody because we're meant to be the light to the you know to the to the nations you know it's, it, it should have all clicked together and I think in in some places it did um and obviously there then obviously there was opposition yeah and I, I got as well you know really loved the people of Israel didn't they you know they, they were his chosen ones and so I guess he really wanted them to get that um all across the known world to hear yeah the good yeah. news of Jesus first and give them that opportunity mm. So then after, they, well, when they, talk, they go to the synagogue and then they meet this guy, Elimas the Magician. Um, this is a slightly controversial question, but um, what pastoral advice could we take from the way that Saul, Paul here, um, addresses this guy? I, I guess direct would be an understated way to describe it. Let me just no, read I love the verse. It. You yeah. son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. It's funny, I love the bit just before that. He looked straight at Elimas and said, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked straight at you. Just imagine that wasn't just a looking straight at him. <laughs> <So in life. laughs> um, yeah, I... I think uh, Paul really understands what's at stake here um, and therefore speaks with that level of um, urgency and sincerity and I guess um, it's kind of this righteous anger. Like he he can see that this um, pro-consul guy um, is under the um, influence of this sorcerer and that you know there's a soul there's two souls at stake here um and he really cares like I think that's something we can take from this is is that sometimes you've got to say hard things um if you if the stakes are really high um and Paul you know it's like tough love isn't it he really he really um wants people to know Jesus and he hates evil and he 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 goes behind it doesn't he and he says you know you're a child of the devil it's interesting because um bar bar Jesus means son of Jesus 
but Saul calls him straight away you're, you're actually son of the devil and you know he's he's he can see the satanic stuff behind what this guy's magic is um, and he's taking it straight on he's seeing the spiritual battle and and facing it head on and I think that's really um courageous and um loving like kind of radical love isn't it um, yeah, and I think the, the interesting thing here is that he that um, Bar Jesus was a Jewish false prophet. So it's not that he didn't know any truth. It wasn't mm. that he he was, um, you know, completely removed from the situate like the synagogue or from the Jews. He was technically a Jew, and mm. so it wasn't a complete denial of the truth. It was probably a twisting of the truth. And mm. it's Paul's passion to see the truth safeguarded. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that, therefore, where we see issues like this, we should go screaming around, you know, saying to everyone, oh, you're a son of the devil. Mm. Um, but I think it's more a wake up call to the importance of safeguarding truth. Um, yeah, yeah. Because remember, this is Paul who recently has gone through a, you know, quite a radical blinding um being blinded kind of facing up to the truth um so yeah he he can probably feel that kind of need of this guy for yeah. for truth and um and he gives it to him straight which i think is really mm. yeah and but you're just, right it doesn't mean that we always yeah what were you gonna say i just gonna say it it's that twisting of truth that happened in genesis as well isn't it you know this the devil didn't say actually none of what God said is right he said mm. oh are you sure about this bit mm. and and almost like you know that's the you know um we shouldn't you know as Christians we're called to lead this life oh apart from this part I can do this you know it, it's um yeah it as I was reading it I, I really felt like there was a, a a slight not very I mean I'm extrapolating but a slight reflection there of you know the pro console is interested and this guy just keeps whispering in his ear yeah you really does god really is jesus really is paul really um yeah i thought i thought that was yeah it like it's really it's really challenged me about yeah what's what's our priorities or what's important and uh, what requires there are times when we're required to use strong language, aren't there? Because mm. the gospel's at stake and Jesus's name's being dishonoured or whatever. But I, I know for me, people's opinion of me is often a higher, it feels harder to go against that than it does. So yeah, this is such a helpful challenge of Saul's got his priorities straight, hasn't he? And he knows what's important. And so he's prepared to speak hard words and I guess yeah. what it boils down to is are you willing to sacrifice your pride for the sake of people's souls mm. yeah or, or what are you prepared to speak hard words yeah. for what what would motivate you to speak harsh words yeah yeah and he's filled with the Holy Spirit isn't he so he um God really cares for this you know or or at least yeah really cares for this proconsul's soul to the extent that he's gonna you know just completely cause Paul to just say these things um like he we've got to you know if we feel led uh, by the spirit to, to speak to someone 
um, straight, we, we shouldn't ignore that or, or try and just push it away. Um, cause yeah, the Holy Spirit, like God, God really loves, loves people and wants them to come to know him. Um, well, equally, we need to be cleared up with that. He's not lost his temper and just mm. lost it. You know, it's the Holy Spirit yeah. in him that yeah, is causing spirit, him to yeah. speak this, this truth. And then yeah. I guess the miracle that happens is evidence of that, isn't it? That he was speak he was speaking God's words, not his own. Mm. So I guess there's probably people yeah. with the opposite tendency to me that would lose their temper mm. more often and be and think. So I don't think we should look at this and think, oh, that's okay then to speak harshly yeah. to people. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit thing, isn't it? Mm. And it, you know, the result of that is that this this proconsul believes and you know so the stakes were high and um yeah and he's and it's interesting isn't it it says he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the lord like it wasn't necessarily the you know this magician guy going blind all of a sudden or something but he was he just heard true teaching and heard truth and god god um let him see yeah i was struck by that in verse 12 that it's those two things together isn't it so he was astonished at what he'd seen like the miraculous Mm. work of the spirit but also the teaching of the lord was drawing him and he Mm. was convinced by the truth so those two things went together really clearly didn't they Mm. yeah to bring him to faith and i think as well the thing with the miracles the miracle is that we need to remember that it was blind for a time like it was kind of like paul i guess an opportunity for repentance an opportunity to change his ways it wasn't a miracle for miracle's sake look at me I'm more powerful than you it was Mm. here's your opportunity to repent like you know I know we're going to talk about this in a minute but um it was a moment to overcome significant opposition but it was also a moment for this individual repent um we don't I mean we don't know what happens do we but uh yeah it was it was interesting Mm. And then just as we're charting our way through Acts, I thought it was worth noting that, so when this proconsul believes, this he's the first Gentile with no religious background that comes to faith. So obviously we've had Cornelius, but he was a God-fearer already. And so mm. it's a really significant moment here because here's somebody that's had no previous background and has come to faith. So, mm. Yeah. Um, okay, then they move on, um, and John Mark leaves them for reasons we're not told here, um, and then they, well, there's a big sermon that Paul preaches, um, which takes us to the end of this chapter, really. Um, what struck you, ladies, about this sermon? Um, I mean, well, it's full of God, isn't it? It's all of God's acts. But what I really, you know, it's only God doing everything in the sermon. But what I really enjoyed was the way that Paul essentially just brought the Jews from the beginning of their history to the current point. Um, You know, uh, verse 17 is about Genesis. Verse 18 is about Exodus and Numbers. And it just keeps going like that until we reach... Um, you know verse 20 is Judges and Samuel and then 23 is Isaiah 25 the gospels sort of um, come in it's like the beginning of of Jesus arrival and I just love how he's sort of bringing them because they would say all Jews would say yes yes 
yes, mm. yes, 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 yes. And then he says, Jesus is the fulfillment of your history. They're like, oh, <laughs> you know, it, I just love the way he brings them along with him, uh, mm. talking about all this stuff that God has done. And then this is Jesus who has fulfilled it all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the, God's promise. God, he highlights, doesn't he, a couple of times, like this is what God has promised and he's fulfilled by raising up Jesus. So his focus is on uh, not not so much the cross here, but Jesus being resurrected from mm -hmm. the dead. Um, and he, he brings in some Old Testament to kind of show them that that's what, you know, this is like the pinnacle of, of this is God saying, this is my son um, and I'm raised him from the dead. Um, and therefore, um, your sins can be forgiven. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Jew, Jews would have had a huge awareness of their sin. Like they were sacrificing and, you know, they, they would have felt the kind of difficulty of keeping the law and all of that. They would have really known that. Um, and he's like, hey, here's this guy. He died and he was raised and he's, you know, he can bring forgiveness for your sins. Um, so you're right. Yeah, like it's he's bringing them with him. Um, and then he's like pointing them to this resurrection and he's proving it. He's saying, you know, there's people walking around now who, who saw Jesus um, when he was alive. Like, it's not just, oh, there's this guy in this place far away, but it's like, you know, there are people around right now who can tell you, I saw him, um, he's alive. Um, and that's, you know, that's their hope, isn't it? That's our hope. Um, it's really what, you know what our faith really hinges on is this resurrection um so i find it encouraging that that paul majors on it so much um because it is you know it's, it's really important and um you know as as uh, as christians who want to talk to other people about about jesus it is it is a really good place to go isn't it like because it says somewhere doesn't it like this is where like my I need to know better where things are, but like it says um, that if Jesus wasn't raised for, from the dead, then, you know, our faith is pointless. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this, this passage was really interesting for people who work with um, non-Western people, like uh, for people who might work with um, people of other faiths where sin isn't considered such an issue. Because mm. in the in the UK, we're a very guilt based culture. So, um, you know, you focus a lot on sin and you've done this, 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 this and this wrong. Whereas there are faith groups in the world where that's just not an issue because they're in their faith. Therefore, they're automatically in the clear um, mm. or at least, you know, they just need to do more good things than bad things. And mm. I just thought that interesting thing that that thing about how Jesus is mentioned before you go into the sin aspect. Um, I thought, yeah, like, you know, there would have been a lot of Jews who, yeah, wrestled with the law, but would have been like, oh, but I'm more okay than that person. Mm. And it's just that sort of shame, honor, who am I worshiping? This, um, this person is so incredible and they can deal with these issues where, uh, you know, it's coming at it from a different angle rather than you have these issues and this is who can deal with them. It is, this is this incredible person. In comparison to him, you have these problems. It's just a different way of, yeah, of, a, of attacking the same problem. Uh, mm. I just thought it was in, uh, interesting the way he flipped 
to talking about a savior first and the issue second, uh, rather than the other way around, which we, you know, because of the culture we live in, we, we hear an awful lot. We don't often hear it flip the other way around because it doesn't speak to our conscience in quite the same way. Mm. Yeah, but I guess he was a pro, wasn't he? He was in the synagogue, so he's, mm. he's understanding the Jewish mindset really well. Mm. I, I guess the, I was, I, I think my favourite verse, which I guess he's summing it all up in some ways, is in verse 27, where, no, that's the wrong one, in verse um, 39, where he just talks about the freedom that Jesus mm. brings, which your law and your prophets could never bring you. And that contrast that, yeah, God did this and this and this and God did this and this in your history, but that didn't bring you freedom. Mm. Whereas this, this Jesus is the one that brings you freedom from your sin. Mm. I, um, I listened to a bit of Piper this week on this and he was saying that this is, he thinks this is the most God-centered sermon in the whole Bible. I was like, wow, that's quite some quite claim, isn't it? But just because... <laughs> yeah how all the way through Paul assigns his, everything that happens in history is because of God. And it was a real challenge to me of, do we view history today through that God-centered vision of God raises leaders up, God brings people down, God brings viruses, you know, all those things that we struggle with or wrestle with, especially for me at the minute with the, what the leadership of the world <laughs> um actually God's got reason in that hasn't he and purpose in that and he raises people up for reasons that are known to him probably um, yeah but yeah that once I, I reread it then with that thread and I was like yeah it's so full of look at what God's done mm. yeah and and you know it says things like and when they had carried out all that was written of him it's like God is so in control that people have said, you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years before this event that this would happen, you know, mm. and now it is actually happening. That's how in control of all of this God is. He gave people hundreds of years ago words to speak. Bang. It's it's now here. Yeah. Even though they did not recognize him yeah. or understand what had been said. So, yeah, God's God's at work, isn't he? Even though through people who wouldn't acknowledge him. Mm. which mm. I guess is encouraging today isn't it when there's so little acknowledgement of God in the public sphere in the west yeah mm. yeah so how do people react then um to Paul and Barnabas's um teaching yeah you go Helen <laughs> uh well people just begged for more didn't they really it says that actually the people begged that these things might be told them the next sabbath um i guess there's two reactions isn't there there's people who's begging for more and then there's the people who are like we need to um we need to shut them up i mean that's the ultimate answer isn't it and that is but that's just a reflection i think of um the encounter with the proconsul and the and bar jesus uh, it's a reflect, you know, the proconsul came to faith and wanted to hear more, but Jesus, you know, rejected the message. Um, and and we've, we've seen that again, again and again and, and again and again. It's a real theme of Acts, isn't it? Uh, that that keeps happening. Uh, sorry. Yeah, and yeah, I, I guess it's just, uh, 
I think that's what I have to say so far, Mary. You can carry on. Yeah, I just think it's um, <clears throat> interesting. Um, I love the verse 48 where it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Um, I love that little um, that little bit, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And it's like that, you know, Paul has preached a very faithful and, and God-centred message um, and has, you know, has, has really... Um, you know backed up everything he said and you know it's logical and as well as you know but actually there's a there's another level to this isn't there that you know god's god's at work and there are people there who who will have open ears and open hearts and and they will believe and there will always or nearly always be people who won't and and then often you know satan doesn't like it when there's messages like this and you know it's it's, it's this strange bit of these, these God-fearing women of high standing getting um, incited by the Jewish leaders and they stir up persecution like again there's this other there's this there's this stuff being played out against the backdrop of this spiritual battle that's going on isn't there and um, and you know in some cases the there's been some little battles won. There's been hearts that have come, you know, come to faith. But then also there's the the forces of darkness who are stirring people up and and saying, you know, let's get these people out of town. And that just it, it happens, doesn't it? You see all all over the world where there's good stuff happening and you know gospel uh, kingdom advances. There's always opposition and there's always persecution because um, we're in a spiritual battle. Mm. It's, it really encourages my heart, though, that verse, I agree, Mary, that God knows his people, doesn't he? And they've been appointed and he's going to, like, faith's going to grow in their hearts. And so I guess it's praying, isn't it, each day that he leads us to the people that he's appointed and that we're able to be witnesses and faithfully share Jesus with them. Mm. Yeah, because, like, Paul would have known that there would be opposition. Like, he himself was part of that opposition before um you know and he knew that yeah but he he also I guess tr you know trusted himself to God and and that God was at work and and God did do great things um there and you know continually during this during this time um I love though that you know as they leave the place they dust off their feet as a warning to them and go on to the next place and I just yeah I don't know why I find that like obviously <laughs> A traditional thing to do in those times to kind of dust your feet off and as a sign of like you know you've rejected the truth so um I'm just gonna go now um but yeah I just I just love that um kind of picture of them doing that um don't know why it's probably not funny <laughs> <laughs> um so ladies where would the personal challenge have come for you in this passage as we've been have you, as you've been reading it this week what's um what's encouraged you or what's challenged you or what's been hard um for me anyway that that it's that verse 48 actually that bit um and as many were, as were appointed to eternal life believed um you know it, it could all you could almost miss it it's sort of a throwaway line at the end of a, a verse and I think 
you know, ultimately this is a comment on election slash predestination and we don't have to get into that now, but I always, you know, my heart kind of sinks whenever that subject comes up uh, for various obvious reasons. But as I was reading around it, I was really challenged about my bad attitude towards it. It's really been something I've been wrestling with. It's something, it's a subject I try to avoid both with Christians and non-Christians. Um, but actually, as I was reading around it, you know, uh, election, the concept of election just means eternal security guaranteed. Like that is, it's a guarantee of Jesus's success for eternity. You know, what, why do I always see it as a really bad thing when actually it's a God-given gift? And, uh, you know, I've really had to switch my thinking onto it and also on it. And also if, if election isn't a thing, then that means that God is reliant on us for our salvation. <laughs> and I, I just found that, and, and that means that he's not all knowing and he's not, you know, he's not omniscient that word, but he's not all knowing. He doesn't know whether or not we're going to choose. And, and that just diminishes God, doesn't it? And it has, so that, that concept has just, um, has just blown my mind a little bit because um, I haven't thought about it in the that way before. Mm. Yeah, and the cash value here is when you are in a foreign city, as both of you are, God's got his people in that city, hasn't he? And yeah. that's so encouraging in the yeah. same way. The, it's not, the onus isn't on you, is it? Yeah. To be, to put forward such a amazingly yeah. erudite argument yeah. but that God's got his people that are waiting to hear about Jesus. And God has got the hardest of sinners. I was listening to one sermon, I think it was by Matt Chandler, and he was like, if you, and it's an encouragement to people who think they're too bad for God, because if you think you're bad, the people in the Bible, like, you know, Manaus would have been there when Herod probably was there when Herod was like, you know, that girl was like, bring me John the Baptist on a plate. He didn't intervene, you know, these people, and think of what Saul did. You think you did anything bad. You think you're not, you know, you think you're too bad for God to be able to save. Well, look at what people in the Bible did. David got somebody murdered because he fancied his wife. Yeah. <laughs> and yet he's, yeah. he's valid. You know, he, we know that he's, he's with God. And um, yeah, it was a real kick in the side of the head for me to start thinking about that and how, I thought it was a really good question about why is that why is that part of that verse encouraging because when I started reading it I had no real I hadn't got an in-depth answer to the encouragement to part. the encouragement part <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Mary and they um I was just carrying on from what Helen was saying and I love that they as they leave in verse 52 they're like they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit like I think I would have been kind of reflecting on some of the what I felt was a fail but they they're just like rejoicing I love that mm. um you know because God's been at work um I yeah lots of stuff I think what we were talking about before I found it really encouraging um the way that he he describes history as God's um God at work through all of all of the things mm. in history therefore we can apply that to now I think in this kind of coronavirus age that we're in I find it almost embarrassing sometimes to be like yeah but you know God is 
God is in charge and he's manufacturing all of this for his glory. And, you know, and, and people are like, oh, but it's so awful. How could God be like, you know, be like that or be doing that? Um, but like he is at work in it. And and that's the that's this pattern of the Bible, isn't isn't it? That often um, the hard and difficult periods of history there are he's he's doing really significant things. And I think he is doing really significant things um, in in his kingdom. Uh, in this coronavirus pandemic so I find that really encouraging um and you know and I guess the the picture of you know Jesus being raised from the dead as like the pinnacle of of you know his his God's victory like Jesus's victory over sin and how important it is the resurrection is I think sometimes um I've personally focused so much on the cross which is really important um, but here, Paul really um, lays on how important the resurrection is that in, in mm. you know, if, if I guess it's good to think for ourselves, like if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, uh, what does that mean? What would that mean? Um, uh, whereas there's this victory that he has in raising from the dead. It means that our sins are forgiven and we're free. Like, do we live like that's true? Do I live like that's true every day? Do I... Um, dwell on that and and um just grow in my understanding of that like I, I just yeah I definitely want to go away and think more about that um if Paul major, majors on it so much then it's really important um that we we do too um yeah what about yeah, you Jill I think well that that whole big picture thing of Paul here and Barnabas are focused on the right thing aren't they their life's about God's glory Jesus's victory and that impacts all their conversations all their decisions you know how they talk to the bad guy how they like you say they don't overanalyze what's gone wrong they're they're looking for God's work and they're rejoicing in it when they see it and that's just really challenging because I just I'm so often I'm pulled into my own kingdom and my Mm. own concerns and I just think life would be so different internally and externally if I, I had these priorities mm. more clearly at the front of my heart all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, it, I was, it's an encouraging passage, isn't it? Because there's good and there's bad. It's not like they have this mega amazing ministry where everything goes well. Mm. And yet, I guess, yeah. I, w- I want to train my eyes to see what God's doing and to get involved with him and to rather than so often it's easy to focus on the hard or the negative things isn't it mm-hmm. yeah they yeah, of yeah the the message that they carry of Jesus and all he's done is precious and it motivates everything they do thanks for chatting ladies that's been great to um the wonders of modern technology have enabled us to yeah. talk about this um at many thousand miles distance um and looking forward to looking at acts chapter 14 with you very soon Great. thanks so much thank you bye bye